Well, good morning, uh, brothers and sisters. Merry Christmas to everyone. And, you know, if we've not met yet, my name is Ken, and I am the pastor here. And it's such a joy to have all of you here with us this morning, whether you're with us online or whether you're here in person. And, and you can probably smell the smells and know that there's food coming later. There's a brunch here. And if you're a guest, I want to invite you to come and join us. There's plenty of food, and, and uh, there's going to be plenty of great fellowship uh, today for our celebration brunch. Um, I affectionately call Crosswinds the land of misfit toys. The, the truth is that everybody here is broken in some way. There's no perfect people here. Don't let some of our beautiful exteriors fool you. We all have hurts. We all have hang-ups. And we have habits that we're struggling with. And, and Crosswinds is really no different than any other church. All churches have misfits in them. We just choose to be honest about it here. You know, people are masters of covering up brokenness. Uh, some, some do it with fancy clothes. Some do it with religion and ceremony. And, and some people do it with self-improvement. And, and some people do it by doing good things and others by saying, hey, there's no sin here. I'm, I'm just fine. And some do it with positive attitudes, which sometimes are really self-delusion. No problem here. I'm, I'm just perfect all the time. I'm just perfect. And others, they, they divert from their brokenness by pointing out the problems with other people. It's, it's the problem of the world out there, not us. Often, the religious live in a holy bubble, judging the problems of everyone else so that we feel okay about ourselves. See, these are just all strategies that us misfits try. But the truth is, they don't work. The truth is, because of sin in the world and sin in us, we are all misfits imprisoned on this little blue ball, this little broken creation, our island of misfit toys. Because if we don't admit our misfittedness, yes, I made up a word. Have grace, your pastor's just a misfit. He makes up words. Because if we don't admit our misfittedness, we often suffer in silence, feeling lost and alone in a broken world. Honestly, I don't think I really need to spend time proving that we're living on this island of misfit toys, do I? That, that, that everything's a little broken? Do I have to prove that? Can we all agree? Can we all raise our hands and agree that this world is broken? Yeah. Okay, that's a starting place. That's good. Let me try a question a little more risky because us misfits like to hide from brokenness. Do, do you ever feel broken and out of place and alone in this world? good we have an honest group this morning honesty is healing the truth is we're only as sick as our secrets and our message today is misfits to majesty the good news is god loves all misfits all misfits who admit that they are misfits not the ones pretending to be perfect by judging others for their misfittedness god instead takes us misfits and brings us into his majesty God has a great purpose for all us misfits. And, and friends, it's Christmas time, 
And often at Christmas time, we try to mask the brokenness of life with beautiful decorations and lights. But often when the relatives or friends come over, brokenness is exposed. And if they don't show up and you're alone, the brokenness sometimes feels palatable. We may try to hide it with alcohol and food or streaming rom-coms, but, but friends, it's, it's still there. John Lennon once sang a song, All the lonely people, where do they all come from? Well, this misfit pastor who can't sing rephrased it to ask, All the lonely people, why do they not talk to one another? I believe they're afraid of the other misfits the ones they imagine falsely to be perfect. But friends, if you're feeling lonely, today I want you to embrace your own misfit nature and and then go out there this holiday season and say hello, hi to all the misfits. Everyone you see, because they're all broken, just like you. And, and, And two misfits being honest about their struggles is a really powerful source of healing. The Bible tells us to do this in James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. So, beloved, today let's break the chains of isolation and, and let's find strength in our shared imperfections. Let's honestly talk to each other and and pray for each other and be healed by obedience to God's word. God knows we're all misfits and he is reaching out to help us in his word. And by us admitting our struggles to him and, and opening up to others, we open ourselves to his healing grace. Friends, are, are you a misfit who prays with and for others weekly, daily? Or are you isolating yourself on your little lone island, pretending that you're special and that you don't need healing or that you can't be healed? Is this microphone working? Okay, just making sure. That was a question. I didn't hear anybody respond. <laughs> God, God said to do this, misfits. It's crucial to surround ourselves with fellow misfits who acknowledge their imperfections and are seeking healing by him through prayer. Or are you just sitting around lamenting your misfit status, being paralyzed by fear, thinking you're the only misfit out there? Perhaps you're isolating yourself because you feel like a misfit and you don't want anybody else to find out. They know. They know. Or they're too busy trying to cover up their own misfittedness to notice yours. That's the reality. Here's the thought. Let's do what God says and embrace healings, misfits. He has majesty in store for each one of you if you will listen to him, little misfit church. But we need to listen to him. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. And last week we explored how Jesus emerged from a line of misfits. Now, I want you to think back to the ho-ho-hos of Christmas, those three women whose pasts were marked by questionable sexual morals. We looked at the patriarchs, 
with messed up personal lives. And kings, most of them who are just downright wicked. And, and through this, Matthew illustrates two profound truths. Humanity's brokenness, and yet the existence of a God who loves us and keeps his promises to misfits. Today's verse, we start in verse 18, and we witness majesty arising from this messy line of misfits. Majesty has come. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. And the first word Matthew uses right now offers us hope to misfits. Now, right now, right now, there is hope for us misfits. See, some of you are yearning for hope, but hope is already here. Hope has been born. If you're waiting for a miracle, know the miracle has already occurred. Matthew is revealing to us God became one of us. He became a misfit just like us, fully understanding what it is to be a misfit in a broken world. Over 2,000 years ago, a baby named Jesus was born who was the Christ. And, and no, Christ is not his last name. And, and it's not a swear word. It signifies an office. He is the Messiah. He is God's anointed king sent to lead us misfits out of brokenness back to God's original design for our lives. To real life so that we are just not misfits broken by our sin. But even his life became, began as a misfit, just like each one of us. In fact, he was in a much more humble situation than most of us. He, he wasn't born into a family that was wealthy and educated or seemingly perfect. Isaiah the prophet described him this way, saying, he had no form of majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. It's contrary to the often depicted images of this beautiful baby in, in soft lighting. See, that's more Hollywood or religious art than, than reality. He entered the world like any other baby, who while all babies are worthy of love, many of them are quite ugly. You know, your mother loved you, but let's face this, most of us didn't arrive on earth turning heads. We're a little bloody, a little squished, matted hair, and, and that's how God came to us in the incarnation. Matthew tells us he came as an ordinary human baby. That, that, that term incarnation really literally means in the meat. In the meat. That word carne, you ever heard that like chili, con carne, meat? It means meat in the chili. So God came in the meat. He came in the flesh. And he was born into a socially awkward circumstance, as many of us misfits are. My own life reflects this. My, my parents were married when I was born, and I, I believe when I was conceived. But they divorced when I was five, and later they had their marriage annulled by the Catholic Church. And so technically, I'm a bastard. And some of you may jest, we knew that, Pastor. <laughs> but bastard simply means born out of wedlock or an illegitimate child. Jesus, too, was born and had to live with a similar reputation, even if it wasn't true. 
You know, those Pharisees, those uber-religious Jews taunted him as an adult saying, we are not illegitimate children. We have one father, even God. In other words, we're not misfits in this world like you are, Jesus. And friends, today, if you feel like a misfit because you don't have a father who claims you as a son or a daughter, I want you to know you have a home. His word says, he, God, is a father to the fatherless. And, and Jesus tells us in his father's house are many rooms. Brother, sister, you have a fine crib waiting for you in your father's house, a mansion. And Matthew is telling us that God's son, his anointed king, left his fine crib and took on being seen as a bastard in some people's eyes because he, did, he had such a great love for you. He didn't care about his reputation in this world. He cared about you. And Matthew is speaking truth to us that there was no sin in his birth or around his birth. His young mother was somewhere between 13 and 16, and she was making moral choices. She was betrothed in marriage, and Hebrew marriage in the first century has uh, a two-step process. First, the couple was first betrothed or or promised to marriage, and and that was legally binding. It was an agreement that the couple was legally considered married, even though they did not live together or engage in sexual relations for the first year. A dowry was given as a, a form of insurance for the bride in case of divorce or widowhood. And it was often a written contract through witnesses. It was a, a legal and public agreement. Jesus' mama was doing the right thing. She wasn't out hanging out in the club singing, oh, 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 waiting for a guy to put a ring on it. She was waiting a year to be with him. You know, today I see young guys who have three kids and they can't commit. I once talked to a woman who was unsure about marriage because she said she didn't know if she trusted the guy she lived with. And I said, well, you trust him with your kids. You trust him with your finances. He's paying the bills. You trust him in your bed. He's got access to your body. But you don't trust him enough to marry him? Is that because you believe he needs to be perfect like in the rom-coms? God's word says he's a misfit, and so are you. And you're supposed to be God's grace, a good thing in his life. Oh, 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 or should I say ho, ho, ho? She had financial, practical arrangement, but was not obedient to God. In marriage, she didn't have to trust the guy. All guys are goofy. Just look at us. We're we're goofy. She needed to trust God. If God, or or if you're calling yourself a, a Christian and you're saying that you trust God, how can you say that's true if you don't trust Him in your relationship? If if you don't trust that He can help you. When, notice I didn't say if, things go badly sometimes. Because in any relationship, they do. You're a misfit, and and so is your spouse or or your partner. Get married. Show that you trust God and teach your children the same. Because, you know, those little children, they're watching. See, God made sure his own son came into a morally, 
honorable situation, even if others questioned it. Mary was legally married when Jesus was born. She was a virgin. Thus, there's there's no question about who the Father is. It's, It's God himself. Jesus was fully God, and he was fully man in the incarnation. However, God's interaction with Mary was not like the tales of the Roman Greco gods who often took women from their beds into their beds to sleep with them. But there's nothing impure in what Matthew is conveying here. He states that she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And in Luke's gospel, the angel Gabriel tells Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Her conception was not sexual. It was creational, friends. In the book of Genesis, when God created everything, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Do you see the the parallel here? The spirit of God is hovering in creation over Mary and, and, and Jesus comes and he's a new creation, something the world has never seen before, a sinless human. While he was born of a misfit mother in the flesh, he had no sin in his conception and nor any time in his life. The the misfit Pharisees who accused him could not claim a sinless origin, even if they religiously claimed to have a holy bloodline. Their bloodline was not holy. Just open the scriptures and read, and you will see the mess of the patriarchs. But this human child, Jesus, is holy. The son or the very substance of God Misfits, hope is here in this new creation. In this new creation, God is restoring his design even for marriage. Jesus was given a a human mother and a father. And in verse 19, he introduces to us Joseph, her husband. Notice it does not refer to him as just a baby daddy or, or some random guy. He is named because he was a reliable man who, who committed himself and stood by his, his wife. But Joseph was not perfect. He was a misfit too. When he, when he found out Mary was with child, he began to worry more about his reputation and his future than about her. We don't know really, but we, maybe Mary didn't explain what happened to her because she couldn't right how could she explain what happened to her never happened before often today women are found with children as if it's an accident but if they're engaging in 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 a behavior that leads to pregnancy it's not an accident friends however that's not the case with mary what could she say But the truth, God graced her with a child. She was asked to serve God in a very special way. She didn't say, my body, my rights. She accepted God's call to motherhood, even if it meant facing shame in her culture. 
She said yes and obeyed God. Yes, friends, babies sometimes are conceived in sinful circumstances. But every child is a creation of God. I remember a father angry because his teenager had gotten pregnant. And he was raging, and I reminded him that that child was a gift from God. And as he was able to help her and help her love and care for that child. And you know what happened? He became a great-grandpa who loved that child dearly. That child was the joy of his life. That's what we're here to do, Christians. Not, not condemn misfits who make mistakes, but instead praise a God who can create miracles from those mistakes. I think I might have been a mistake. I don't know that I was planned. But, but I, I praise God for that miracle because he doesn't make mistakes. None of us are a mistake. But being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. See, Joseph tried to fix the situation in his own way. He was a just man, which meant he was religious and he followed God's law. And, and he was doing the right thing. He was being committed to his wife. But then things didn't work out as he had planned. And, and he had the right to bring her up on charges. And according to their law, he could, if he could prove that she sinned, he could have her stoned, killed. But his trust in a God made him compassionate to other misfits who made mistakes. And he didn't want to shame Mary. He loved her. But he also didn't want to suffer the responsibility for her mistake. Beloved, being a just person doesn't mean that we just point out other people's mistakes to shame them. We are to deal truthfully with situations and then give compassion to misfits in their mistakes because they're going to make them. God made sure to give his son a man of character to father him one not given to violence or overreaction, but a man who sought to do the right thing before God and man. The only problem was he was trying to escape the problem and, and instead of trying to face the problem, which, which never works. But it's a strategy that most of us misfits will try whenever stress in our life seems to be too great for us to face. We'll try to escape. It was a reasonably good solution, Joseph's solution, but it was not God's solution. God's solution was to build his character through a tough situation. Verse 20 unfolds as Joseph contemplates the situation, but as he considers these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear and take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And in this dream, the angel reminds Joseph of the promise to his heritage that he is a son of David, a descendant of a great king whom God promised that a deliverer would come through his line. Psalm 89, 3-4 says, As you have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one, and I have sworn to David my servant that I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. 
And the angel tells Joseph something very important. important. Do not fear. Now, angels had told Mary and Zechariah not to fear because they were in a direct presence of God's holy messenger and they felt fear. But here I believe Joseph is told not to fear because fear was his problem. He was letting his fear rather than his fate, faith dictate his rep- response to this situation. Fear was driving his heart to seek an escape. The, the text says he, he was considering these things. What, what, what things was he considering? How to escape this situation unscathed? As believers, we don't fear problems. We fear the Lord. God did not give us a spirit of fear. That comes from the evil one who wants to leave this young mother alone. Faith is of God. And fear, friends, is a tool of the devil. The fear is his design, not God's. So in his fear, God reaches out to Joseph through an angel, helping this misfit not to be afraid. Fear comes from looking at the situation and trying to figure it out, figure out how we can fix it ourselves. Faith, however, is trusting the Lord with all your heart and leaning not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledging him, and he will make your path straight. Misfits, fear is sin. It misses the mark of God's design for our life. And, and friends, we all experience anxiety in uncertain situations, but contract Contrary to what our culture might suggest, it's not a badge of honor. It's sin. And and sin is something to be repented of, not accepted. You may say, well, I have anxiety, or I'm an anxious person. And I'm saying, you're not being honest, misfit. That's not your identity. It's sin. And Jesus says, don't do it. You may argue, you don't understand what I'm going through right now. And I would say, you're right, I don't. And I'm compassionate that you're suffering. It stinks to feel anxious. It's not God's design. Jesus says, do not be anxious about anything. That's a really big category, isn't it? He doesn't provide any justification for anxiety. Instead, he instructs us to turn from it, to repent and trust in a God who is good and will provide for us. The apostle Paul again tells us what to do. He says, rejoice. And again, he says, rejoice. But then he adds, let your reasonableness be evident to all. The Lord is at hand. See, Joseph had faulty reasoning. He thought his wife had had an affair. And and maybe he reasoned that it was his fault that he hadn't loved her enough. Or maybe he reasoned that he had not watched her closely enough or that he had not protected her. His reasoning was off. His reasoning was a lie. It was false. In our anxiety, our reasoning is off. We're not thinking clearly. We're thinking what the devil wants us to think. That we are alone and that we are broken and that we are without help in this world. But friends, that's not true. That's stinking thinking from the devil. The truth is the Lord is at hand. He's right here with us right now. He is there for us and he is there to help us. We just need to turn to him and not turn to our fears. And he will uphold us with his righteous right hands. 
Friend, do you trust your fears more than God? Repent. What do you meditate or ruminate on all day, your fears or on God? And friends, I'm here to tell you as a recovering anxiety junkie, if you repent, you turn and you, you put your mind on God, fear goes away. It disappears. See, the angel doesn't come and argue against Joseph's fears. He tells Joseph what to do. Stop letting fear control you. Get into action. Take Mary as your wife. It, it doesn't matter what others think. I'm telling you what to think about. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, God is here. He is at hand. The one promised through all generations has come. Fear is telling you to run. Faith is telling you, commit to my plan and live by my design for your life. Listen to me instead of your thoughts and your fears. Verse 21 says, and she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. See, the angel speaks truth to calm Joseph's fears. She will bear a son. It will be his son. He gets to name him. In the Hebrew culture and law, this act of naming makes Jesus legally Joseph's son. That's why Matthew traces Joseph's lineage in the, the previous verses. Even though he wasn't the biological father, he is the legal father. And friends, a father is somebody who fathers. Not just someone who donates sperm. Any man can donate sperm, but it's God who makes men fathers. And friends, I want to remind you again, if you don't have one, you're not alone. God is a father to the fatherless. He cares for you like a father. Jesus calls him father, not in a broader, grand sense, but in a personal sense. He even calls him Abba, akin to da or daddy. It's intimate. Misfits, you're not alone in this world. Turn from your fears. You have a daddy big enough to help you with any situation, big enough to protect you. The angel doesn't let Joseph sit in his fears. He gives him a job. Be a daddy. Name your son. Friends, one of the biggest world problems in our world right now is fatherlessness. And God has called us to be messengers to misfits, to tell them they have a father, that they're not alone. They have somebody who loves them and he's going to give them a job to tell others. Now the angel tells Joseph what to name the child. Jesus proves that God is a father to all misfits. The, the name Jesus in the original language is Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. God has come himself in the flesh for us misfits, and he will be our salvation and friends, there is no need to fear. And all this took place to fulfill what the prophet had been, had been spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, the very thing Joseph feared, his wife's questionable pregnancy, was actually his salvation. It's interesting how the devil uses fear to distort our perception. Telling us what is good is bad and what is bad is good, he distorts it. 
For Joseph, salvation was not found in his fear, nor in Mary, nor in his good behavior as a just man, nor in his family lineage, but in God himself. He had a wife who was still pure, a virgin fulfilling the promise of Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and and shall call his name Emmanuel. See, Joseph had been misinterpreting the signs of God's love for him. That's why he's fretting. He's misinterpreting it. That little bump in Mary's belly was a bigger sign to him than God's word was to him. Misfits, if you try to live your life by signs, you will be deceived by the devil. What did Jesus say when he grew up and faced a direct assault from Satan? He didn't rely on observations or signs or his own wit or wisdom. He used God's word from Deuteronomy 8.3. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. If you've interpreted the sign that you don't have enough bread in your debit card as a sign that God does not love you, you're just as wrong as Joseph was. Fear is a liar, misfits. Come back to the truth that God has spoken and his words are proven true. A virgin conceived and had a son. Can I hear an amen? I asked Google Bard's new Gemini about this and it said it's humanly impossible for a, 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 a virgin to conceive without a sperm donation. But with his word, it says, with God, all things are possible. Google just lied about their new Gemini thing, if you watch the news. So there's the greatest thing since sliced bread, but it's not bread yet. Anyways, um, (laughs) so we can listen to that. We can listen to what God says, a God who does the impossible. When I hear naturalists or atheists debate this, I think, how silly is their misfit view? Because what good is it to have a God that can only do what is biologically possible? What kind of God is that? If a God could only work through what we understand in biology, he created biology. If he wants to break the rules, let him break the rules. He's God. My God does the impossible. Like speaking the universe into existence with the word. Ex nihilo, from nothing, everything. Like making a man from a piece of dust. That's a God worth our worship. If you are worshiping circumstances, if that's what's occupying your mind, you are not worshiping God who does the impossible. Mic drop. The angel just told Joseph that God did the impossible. God just became a misfit like one of us. And he's a God who takes misfits and does majestic things with them. He took a misfit who couldn't have children until he was almost 100 and made him a father to all the nations of the world. He took a weak, nerdy kid named Jacob and made him a father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He took the youngest of eight brothers, a shepherd, and let him defeat a giant, making him a great king. Beloved, God does the impossible with misfits. And he brings them into his majesty. 
Now God is going to make this scared man who wants to run into a great father for his own son. And when Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. A miracle. He took his wife, and he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He did exactly what God told him to do. Joseph got woke. Not to sin, not to lies that he was a victim, but that the truth that he could do something great for, for God. Being a father. Being a father to his son. Man, there's no greater ministry that a man has in his life than to be a father. Man, never fear that your role as a father is unimportant. No matter what your culture tells you, no matter what your kids tell you, no matter what your wife tells you. It doesn't matter if they are your biological children or those God calls you to father or to disciple spiritually. Being a father is a necessary role that God uses to turn the upside down world right side up again. We men must repent of our selfishness to be fathers. Fathers to the misfits of this world. It's God's will for us. Malachi said this 400 years earlier about this moment, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Misfit men, there are some great fathers in this room. If you need help being one, confess your sins to them and let them pray for you and you will be guided by the Holy Spirit in truth and healing of your fears. Fear no longer ruled Joseph. The Bible does not say he was a perfect father. He was a misfit. But what it does say is he repented. He turned and obeyed God. He immediately did what God asked him to do. And God desires our obedience more than our perfection as men or as women. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Joseph had something most in our world do not have. Obedience to God's word. He's not an educated man. He's not some holy priest. He, he was not rich. But he had something God uses more. More to move him from being a misfit to majesty. Simple obedience to God's word. The world might have told him, dump the tramp and, and get your education Live a little, make some money, have some experiences. But real fathers don't listen to the world. They listen to God and they obey. Mothers who have to be fathers because men have been unreliable have to listen and obey God, not unreliable men. 
Today, are you fearing what the world says about raising your children or God? Are, are, Are you obeying what God says even when it's hard, even when the signs don't look good and the culture is opposed to what you're doing? Obey God. And Joseph, he could not provide all the things of the world for his son, but what he provided, what was most important, an example of being obedient to God. In my own life recently, I had to repent again because I'm a misfit. I was doing all the right sacrifices, making all the right offerings, coming to church, leading the church, praying every day, living a relatively moral life in most men's eyes. I even admitted my sin as a misfit. But I was not listening to God's call to obey him. I was letting my circumstances and my fears rule my heart rather than him. And God was silent because I was not listening and obeying. He was patient. I could tell all the other misfits how to obey, but I was not. Beloved, I have found his word to be true. Obedience is better than all my sacrifices for him. Jesus came to save us from what? Our sins, right? That's what the angel said. He didn't come to save us into religion, or a perfect life. He came to save us from what's killing us misfits, our sin. You may look perfect and pretty at church. You you may serve him in all kinds of ways. You may say and pray great things, but obedience is better than sacrifice and to listen better than the fat of rams or prosperity in life. The angel said Jesus was given two names. One, Jehovah, that saves us from our sin. The purpose by which he came was to save you from what is killing you. From what? Your your sins. Are you letting him? Or are you pretending religiously? What are we doing here? The other name he has given is Emmanuel, God with us. Do you believe that? Or are you letting your fear deceive you into sin? Misfit, your own sacrifices are meaningless. For it is only his blood that can save us because he was a misfit without sin. Another misfit who did not want to admit the real problem of their own sin put him on a cross to die. But he was both misfit like us and could die and sinless because he was born of heaven. Thus his death paid the full price for our sin, saving us from our sin now. And then three days later, God did the impossible. Jesus walked out of the grave alive again, proving what the angel had said about him. He was our savior. He was our misfit king, the very God who created us. He was for us. He came to save us, but we must learn to listen and obey the voice of our king instead of our fears. 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. When whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Beloved, we are not saved by obedience. We are all misfits who sin. But our obedience proves we have faith in our King and not our fears. Notice that verse says, whoever includes all of you misfits and me. You have a home in him if you believe, if you trust. Today, repent of your fears. Hear his voice, misfit, and turn to your humble king and be saved. Turn and follow him and be delivered from your fears. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you love us so much that your desire as a good father is to take misfits to majesty, to make us sons and daughters of God. Father, today I pray there are some right now repenting of their fear that only leads to sin and turning to you. A father that's at hand. A father that loves them. A father that keeps his promises to them. A father who has provided everything for them, including their salvation. Father, may they turn and repent today. Convict hearts today through the power of the Holy Spirit. They are misfits. They are broken in sin and they need your help. Oh, Father, send your Holy Spirit and convict them that you are that good Father that has promised and has kept his promise and that now Jesus has come and he's here right now to save them. Oh, Father, through the Holy Spirit, convict them that time is now. Joseph got up immediately. And repented. Repentance isn't something we choose to do in the future. It's something we do right now in this moment when the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes. Oh, Father, send your Holy Spirit to convict us, to move, to be in action, in faith. Oh, Father, take this little misfit church and do majestic things. Continue to do majestic things in your name so that the world may know that you have a Father. Oh, Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for sending us your son, Joseph's son, to save us. In Jesus' name I pray.